0: Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is The Kingdom is Now, Part 1. It's hard, it's holy. Recorded January 16th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Hey, glad you're here. You ever, you ever had a situation I know you have where you, you said something like, man, I blinked and I missed it. Like, like I, all my kids' weddings, all three of them, I feel like we geared up, we spent a lot of time going into it, but you know, the day itself, poof, I don't remember hardly anything. I, I missed the whole thing. What happened? Well, we're really going to dive into some things that happened in the early part of Jesus' ministry today, where Mark just goes pretty quick. The other gospel writers spent a little more time there. But the fact is, if you blink, you might miss it. So I want to I spend a little bit more time than, than, than maybe he did even to talk about these. So if you have your journal, we've been encouraging you to get this journal that can you can follow along with, you can bring it with you to church and take notes. Pull that out. We're going to start with Mark chapter one, verse nine. So it's on that first page of scripture that you have. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. So the first don't blink experience of Jesus is his baptism. Jesus was baptized. We st- we talk about baptism here quite a bit because it's one of the distinctives of our church, how we view baptism, and we feel like to be honest, we take a very scriptural approach to baptism, and we haven't allowed the cultural changes that have happened to baptism over the centuries influence us, and so it's important for us to teach on this. But, but I want you to see something really important here with Jesus' baptism because it's also true about yours. This is not a check-the-box experience, baptism. It's not like you say, you know, like, and I think sometimes, by the way, Christians do this with stuff. We, we call it cultural Christianity. I was baptized as a baby, check. I said a prayer as a teenager, check. Uh, my mom and dad took us to church, Check. I got the Sunday school pins at church. Some of you might remember what those are. Check. I'm a Christian. I live like hell, but I got the cling on my window that says Love Unlimited. Check. We like check off boxes thinking that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I would think that a lot of the people who went to the Jordan River like Jesus did to be baptized by John, they were like checking off stuff. Like, because in their life, they would say things like, well, I'm a child of Abraham. Check. When our boys were born, we had them circumcised on the eighth day. Check. Uh, we follow these, all these laws and rules that the Old Testament prescribes for us. Check. I'm not living like hell like those Romans over there. Check. We do that with life. But when Christians are baptized, we're not just checking off boxes, friends. Baptism is a powerful demonstration of what Jesus himself has done for us when he gave his life to cleanse us from sin. And our baptism associates us with him just like his baptism associates with us. He didn't just check off a box. And so that's the first thing. Now, we're going to spend a lot more time with baptism in the future, so I'm not going to go much further than that right now. But I will say this. He was baptized to identify with us We are baptized to identify with him. Now, here's a second thing that happens in this very short little passage of scripture. The second thing is Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered. He's baptized, and verse 10 says, And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw heaven's parting, he being John, the Spirit descending upon him, Jesus, like a dove, A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, all the gospels make a big deal about the Holy Spirit and the role of Jesus, and for good reason, because the Bible makes a big deal about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Christian. There are a lot of misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit, especially how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. So we're going to talk about Jesus primarily, but there's also some parallels to Jesus' experience that we need to understand about ourselves. Now, think about this for a minute. When Jesus came to earth, he came to earth, he made a willing choice to become a human being on earth. He came to be one of us. He came to be a human. Now, by the way, this isn't like Clark Kent. Okay, This isn't like Superman came in, and then he pretended to be some feeble reporter at the Daily Planet and wore big thick black rimmed glasses and then you know, when he wanted to, he went into the telephone booth and put on the Superman singlet and became a suit. It's not the way it worked for Jesus. Jesus came in to be a human being, okay? And when his ministry began, began, the Holy Spirit came on him and then the miracles began. Like when he was a kid, contrary to what you might believe, you know, he wasn't like looking at his plate of broccoli sprouts and saying, I'm going to turn those into gummy bears. Poof. That's not the way it worked for Jesus. Uh, he, he, he was able to do miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the will of God. Okay, so this might surprise you. But when Jesus performed miracles, he didn't do it to prove he was God. Because guess what? The world crucified him. He did it to give glory to God, but not to prove he's God. Like, for instance, let me give you this, give you this scenario. So there's, there's all of these people prior to Jesus who actually did miracles. People like Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and they did things like Jesus did. They turned food into different kinds of food or they produced food out of nothing. They, uh, they healed people from maladies and diseases, people like lepers. Uh, they even raised people from the dead, some of them. And yet none of them are God. God. And then there are people who walked with Jesus who were his followers who were able to do some miracles. And then after Jesus was ascended to heaven and, 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 uh, and left this earth, uh, then the, many of his followers, especially early on, were able to do some miracles. Like Peter, like, you know, Peter and, and, and Paul and, and Barnabas and many others. None of them are God. What is it that proves Jesus is God? It's not his miracles. What is it? It's when he walked out of a tomb alive after his body being decimated on a cross. That proves him to be God. Okay? Now, you think about Jesus. There were times, and we're going to see this going forward, for instance, in Mark 6, when he was not able to to do miracles. He went to his hometown. And it says that there was a great deal of unbelief there. And it says he was not able to do miracles. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit did not allow him to do miracles. He was under the authority of God in that situation. Now, The Holy Spirit has a single role in my life, in your life. The Holy Spirit, it's the same thing that the Holy Spirit has in Jesus' life when he was on earth. The Holy Spirit is to guide and empower us to do what God wants. Not what you want. God is not your slot machine where you insert a prayer, prayer and then out comes some blessing that you're seeking. That's why at at some point you can pray for healing and it maybe doesn't happen. Or maybe you pray and it does. I don't know. Because it's not what you want, it's what God wants. Most of the time I know what I want. I will tell you there's a lot of times when only God knows what I need. And that's why we need to trust him to empower us to do what he wants to happen. I mean, I'm just telling you with Jesus it was this way. There were times when Jesus prayed one thing and he got another thing, like in the Garden of Gethsemane before his death. He prayed that this cup, this cross that was coming would pass before him. He didn't want to go there. And and what was the answer? Not my will, but your will be done. He was on that cross. And at one point he uttered these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't sound like happiness and joy. It doesn't sound like he wanted to be there. But it wasn't about what he wanted. It's about what God wanted. And so the Holy Spirit, here's the third thing. He's tempted by Satan. So he's baptized immediately. We see this manifestation where the Holy Spirit comes on him. And then immediately he goes into the desert to be tempted. Here's what it says. The Spirit drove him to the wilderness. He was there for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. Now the other gospel writers, a couple of them, spend more time on this than Mark does. And as important as it was for Jesus to be baptized and for us to understand that, as important as it is for us to understand that he received the gift of the Holy Spirit at that point of his life, it's also important for us to see that he was tempted like we are. Because he set his divinity aside to identify with us in temptation. How could he be a human being and not be tempted like we are? As a matter of fact, Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. He was tempted at all points like we are. I mean, I know this happens. I've done this myself, and I know some of you do this, you sit there and go, well, Jesus, or no one really understands what I'm going through. Like they, You just don't get it. You understand the depth of this temptation. Well, he does. That's what the scripture says. I mean, the, the, the fact is that, first of all, that's self-centered for you to say that. Well, you know, only I understand. No, God understands. These temptations that he's going to face, Mark doesn't outline them. Luke and Matthew do. And so let's take a look at them very quickly. Three temptations that we all face, that he faced. The first is, who will I trust in a crisis? He had fasted for 40 days. It says he was tempted to take stones and turn them into bread. Now, personally, if I had the power, I don't know if I wouldn't have bread at that point. I'm like, I'm going T-bones or something. But anyway, it's, you know, it, that's the, what happened. The temptation for Jesus is in a food crisis to take over because apparently the devil wanted him to think God wasn't delivering to meet his needs. And so the, the temptation is, I need to take this situation in hand. I need to do something that is normally considered wrong because the crisis is greater than God can meet. I tried God's way with this, and he's not meeting my needs. And we do this, friends, and you know we do this. I tried God's way with sexual purity, but I can't wait any longer. I got to meet the need. I tried to be a person of integrity in this dog-eat-dog industry where I work day in and day out, but I got to i got to compromise to make some money here. I tried God's way of trusting that he would meet my needs if I tithe, and I'm still hand to mouth, so I'm going to take that back. I can't handle it any longer. I need bread. I'm taking over. Who will you trust in a crisis? The second one is like it. What will I do to speed up the process? So the second temptation is where he's like stuck in God's waiting room. Have you ever been stuck stuck in God's waiting room? Where you're waiting for something to happen and it's just not happening? It's a long wait. Satan says, look, I'm going to take you up to the top of the temple. Here you are. You just throw yourself. You jump. And I will, you know, the angels will come in. They will swoop down. And all these people on the ground are going, wow, look, the angels. That guy jumped off the temple. The angels got him, mean, and now, you know, it's a Superman experience, right? Where he must be God. So here's a point where Satan is basically saying to Jesus, I understand why you're impatient. Why don't you do something to make something happen? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you just fudge a little? Why don't you fib a little? Why don't you speed it up? And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to. Be impatient with God. I'm going to do it his way. Here's a third thing. This is temptation. What will I do to avoid pain? So, so again, he takes him up to this place. He takes him to a high mountain, and He shows Satan shows Jesus the you know, land for as far as the, the eye can see, and he says, look, this is my world. All you need to do, because you don't need to go to that stinky, smelly, nasty, bloody, painful cross. All you need to do is just put a knee to me and you can have all of this. And by the way, he did have the deed to the world at that point. Because when Adam and Eve fell, they deeded the world to the Satan. And so it was his to give. As a matter of fact, Revelation says, John sees a vision in Revelation where there's a scroll and no one can step up to take the scroll. The scroll represents the deed to the world. And then Jesus steps forth and he takes it. Because when he went to the cross and he said, it's finished, that meant that he took that deed back. But at any point, he he didn't have it then, and so look, you don't need to go through the messiness of the cross. And and again, Jesus says, no, I'm going to do this God's way, not your way. Now once again, I look at Jesus' temptations, I realize I have been vulnerable in every way. Have I been tempted to take The bread of life and get it on my own power instead of waiting for God to provide for me? I have. Have I gotten tired of waiting for God to act and tried to take matters into my own hands and reject His long term plan for my life? I have to admit, there are times I've done that. Have I tried to avoid inconvenience and pain by compromising? I have to say I failed at that level too. But He never failed. That's the point. See, here's the thing. Listen to me now. If you got one of these, this is like a place where you might write this down because it might matter to you later. This is one thing you might write down. He didn't die for his sins. He died for my sins. He didn't have any sins. Now, let's quickly look at some life lessons, kind of loop back. We've kind of talked about these things, but I want to loop back on it for a minute Here's three life lessons that I think are important for us to grab from this, you know, this blinker you might miss it experience with Jesus in Mark chapter 1. First of all, it is not a sin to be tempted, it is a sin to sin. Duh. Well, some of us find ourselves in this zone where we think that thinking it is doing it. It isn't. Doing it is doing it. If just having a thought was sin, we're all toast. There has something to do with self-restraint where we see something's wrong and we fall into the power of God in our life and say, God, I know that's wrong. Help me not to do that. And if you're not a believer... And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're seriously unarmed for that moment. The Holy Spirit's there to help you not sin. Now, I don't think Christians exploit that very well, to be honest. You know, let me just give you some kind of simple illustrations on this. They are simple, I have to admit. We are told that if we're tempted, we should run away, we should flee from it, not say a prayer, not call a friend run. Like, think about it this way. I kind of like ice cream. Ice cream kind of does things to me. Now, it is not wise for me to have a freezer full of ice cream. That is not fleeing, okay? If you want to avoid sexual temptation, it is not a good idea for you to go to bars and parties and leave your husband home with the kids, Okay? That's not fleeing from temptation. It's just not. It's not fleeing from sexual temptation if you've got some kind of flirtation happening online with a person who you don't know if they're a man or a woman. They might say they're one or the other. I don't know, but you don't know unless you know them. Either way, it's wrong. That's not fleeing from temptation. The Bible says run from sin. It doesn't say, however, to run from hardship or confusion or despair. The Bible says, with hardship and temptation and confusion, it says, do what Jesus did when he was tempted, dig in, stand, face it, take it on, and it says, when you do that, the devil will flee from you. Does that make sense? It is not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to sin. Here's the second thing. Sometimes the center of God's will is in the middle of the desert. There's a common misunderstanding about being in God's will. We think that it's all like unicorns and fluffy stuff and clouds and safety and happiness and beautiful and blissful stuff. On the other hand, we kind of get to thinking that if you know, we're in a dark place or a hard place or a, a just a, a, you know, really a terrible place in life, that somehow that must mean I'm outside of God's will, that I've failed. No, no, Jesus is showing us this. Did you notice that the Holy Spirit led him into the desert? Did you notice that? Now I'm not saying that every time you obey God, he's going to take you into some dark place. As a matter of fact, usually he will not. But I will tell you that sometimes when you're obeying God, you're going to go into dark places. Sometimes you will. But the enemy loves it when we think that we should always be in this, like, happy, great place. Because as soon as we're not, guess who gets the bum rap? It's when we start saying, well, God, why'd you do this to me? Well, if there is a God, why did this? Why, 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 why? Hey, look, there's a lot of reasons in this world to ask why. I did it about 10 times last week. But the fact of the matter is, there's a God who says, you know what? I'm here in this place with you. I'm here with you. Sometimes being at the center of God's will, you're going to be in some incredibly hard and hopeless situations. We're going to see this with Jesus in the next several months. So, God takes me where I need to be, not necessarily where I want to be. That's a fact. Now here's a third thing that we can learn, a third thing that I think comes out of this experience with Jesus' baptism, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, and then going into a temptation um, desert. A blessed life is not necessarily an easy life, and I know I've already addressed this, but let me just say this. We have a uniquely American theology that goes something like this. When things are going good, that means God's with me. When things are going bad, that means he's not. We do this. I hear it all the time from people. Here's the truth. In eternity, everything's going to be great. We aren't there yet. So we have to understand, yeah, Jesus has taken the deed of the world back. But for a time, he's still letting the devil have a little playground to get us ready for what he has for us in eternity. I, I I can't explain all that. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. And if your Christian worldview is that your life's supposed to be fluffy clouds and lollipops, you're going to feel ripped off for the rest of your life. You just are. You're going to live in doubt. You're going to live in concern that God's not doing all he should. You're going to play the blame game. You're going to mope around and say, well, why me? Can I just tell you this, and you can tell it back to me if I start doing it. We don't really care if you ask that question. What we we want to do, because we're His people, we want to find a place where we trust Him, no matter what's happening in life. Like, you know, I, I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, we just came through Christmas, and I know we talked a lot about people like Joseph and Mary. But but here's the thing, I think we spend far too much time chasing happiness rather than holiness, and we're so self-centered. So so if if I'm going to move toward holiness, that means I need to live in alignment with God's purpose for me. Now, so here's Mary, his mother, and you, you know the Christmas story kind of, I bet. So here's a woman who an angel shows up and says, you who are highly favored, I've got good news for you. Greetings, the Lord is with you. What if an angel stood at your bedpost tonight, sometime in the, in the middle of the night, woke you up and said, hey, I got great news for you. You're highly favored. You're probably like jumping out of bed in the morning and buying lottery tickets. You, this is going to be great. God's favoring me. Okay, let's see what happens to this woman. Ready for this? She waddled to Bethlehem. She walked like from the equivalent from here to broken bow, pregnant. Some favor. She gets there. What do we know about the place that she wanted to stay? No room for you. The Sheridan, the Super 8, nothing. Well, that's not, you, you, thank you, Jesus. You call that favor? And then, you know, she, they actually find a, a stable to, to, to have the, the, you know, to give birth to the Son of God. She finds a stable. And then and, and the only thing that's there to put the baby in is what? A, a manger. That's where animals slobber and eat. Some favor. Poverty. You know, they would do a thing where they'd have a special ceremony after the birth of a child where they would sacrifice, uh, you know, a lamb without blemish. And guess what Joseph sacrificed? Two doves. It makes for a good song, two turtle doves. What it really means is he couldn't put two nickels together. He was poor. Some favor. I think at least they'd get a raise, you know. You see what I'm saying? You keep going with this story, like, you know... Uh, they're, they're driven into refugee hostility in, in Egypt because, because this evil king wants to murder their child. They're refugees. I've never been a refugee, but I, I, I kind of think it's not a really good life. Some favor. Here's Mary at the foot of the cross after all these great things that her son did over the course of his life, and you know, a man without sin, and, and the people are shouting, just, just kill him, will you? Some favor. The shame and rumors of having a child out of wedlock, as some people would have thought, some favor. Here, here's something that Larry Osborne says I love this. Always judge God's victories by resurrections, not crosses. I fully believe that the more we line up with Jesus' teachings, Jesus' promises, his ethical values, his leadership in my life, the better off in this life I will be. But I do not believe that God owes me anything that he doesn't promise me. And here's one of his promises. Brace yourself. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. That's true. You know, Mark records this about the temptation experience. It says he was with the wild beasts. And the angels came and ministered to him. So even in that hard time, he had comfort animals. These were not beasts that he was afraid of. They were, they were, they were companions with him in a hard time. That's what the, this scripture means. And he had ministry from God. As I am confident that if you are his follower, so do you, even if you at times don't understand what that means. He, he's there for you. You're experiencing the ministry of angels and you don't even know it. And it might just be because you have an epiphany that gets you through something in the moment or suddenly you're uplifted when you feel so down or I don't know. But it's not going to be easier for Jesus and it's probably not going to be any easier for us. As long as we live in this world, we're going to be challenged by things. But the message of this entire experience as we go forward is the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God. We are surrounded by a kingdom where God is active and working. And I don't know about you, There's two different kinds of kingdoms. I want to be in that one. I don't want to live in the kingdom of darkness. I had enough of darkness in my life. I want hope. And that's what Jesus came to bring us. And if you will hang with us in Mark, you are going to find this over and over again, that whatever you're experiencing, he's in it with you. Even if it's a desert, he's with you. Lord, as we commune today, we just remember that you left the throne of God you became one of us. Your baptism, it identifies with us, and it lets us to identify with you and ours. When the Holy Spirit came in your life, it shows us what you will do. If we will open our lives to you, you will give us the same gift of hope and help and encouragement that you received. And, yes, we will have temptation. But in that desert of temptation, you'll be with us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The action points for this passage are very simple. Childlike simple. First of all, at 30 years of age, Jesus came to be baptized to identify with you and me. This is an adult experience meant to link Us up with Him. If you've not taken that step, maybe the Holy Spirit is now pushing on you for that purpose. He received the gift of the Holy Spirit at that time. Later in the Bible, we see that when people responded to Christ by obedience and were baptized, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's you and me. And then life hit again, and we face temptation. And what he shows us is that we now have power to walk with him to overcome it without sinning. And that's an everyday, day after day experience that he leads us in. It's as simple as that. And life is as hard as that. And so let's walk with him. Let's let's let him, let's trust him so that we can walk forward with him. That's what this is. That's the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 1015, or 11, 30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.